morning, guys. Welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, 1 Corinthians 2, Lesson 18. The end of the week, you guys have finished up the book of Romans, and now we're just beginning the book of 1 Corinthians. You know, 1 Corinthians, they have two books. There's probably a lost letter in there somewhere, in all reality. 1 and 2 Corinthians. Paul writes uh, to the church of Corinth. Uh, Kevin, we do know that he actually he penned this one, though, didn't he? Correct. In 1 Corinthians 16, it references, hey, I, I wrote this with my own hand, where compared to Romans 15, he had Tertullius. He's the one who wrote the book of Romans, like the pendant for him. And so just kind of an interesting dynamic of where we're at and what we're studying. Now, I do want to just say this. As Paul ministered in Corinth, okay, you can find all of these illustrations, these examples in Acts 18. So he's writing about it in 1 Corinthians but he's experiencing it in Acts 18. Does that make sense? So the book of Acts is basically the action plan. It's the movie. And then all of the other, the epistles are basically the reviews of what he experienced. It's the Psalms, if you will, of his experiences. It's the Proverbs of his experiences. So that's kind of the imagery that I want you to have. And as Paul ministered in Corinth, okay, I think Warren Wearsby, he did something really cool. And I just kind of want to break this down a little bit. He obeyed the Lord's great commission. And he preached the gospel. Clearly, that's what Paul did. And so what I want to do is, is here you have a couple of things. Christ's commission, okay? And that's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I know we know this, but Christ's commission, okay? You have a couple of things. He says, go, therefore. And then he says, hey, I want you to go make disciples. Which I know Paul does that very well, because we even talked about the remnant in Romans 16. So it says, go, therefore, you're going to make disciples. And he says, hey, baptizing them. Okay. And then it says, you are going to be teaching them. Okay. So this is the charge that Christ gave his disciples. Okay. And that is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We know this. We've heard this. But what does that look like in Paul's life? I think it's pretty cool if you go to Acts 18 now, Kevin, starting in verse. uh, Go to verse one, if you don't mind, actually. In Paul's ministry, just as a comparison, just specifically in Corinth, okay? So it says in Acts 18.1, after this, he left Athens and he went to Corinth. So that's your go, (laughs) right? He went to Corinth. You got to leave in order to to actually do the Great Commission. You got to have to leave the place. You got to have to go out. You know, you got to put on the the beautiful shoes and get going. That's how they're going to hear the news. And the scripture continues on, um, even in in verse 8. Uh, verse 8, really, if you want to just kind of jump ahead. It says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. So here you have uh, just Crispus, right, and household. That's the whole discipleship thing, right? And it says that they believed, okay? And then in the process, then it says they were baptized. So all of a sudden you see Paul doing this in one city, one location. And then it continues on. It says in verse 11, how long was he there for? He stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So that's a long time. And he's doing the teaching. He's doing the teaching in verse 11. I wonder if he had any uh, Josh Edwards on his team. Just curious if he had any uh, Sean Carlson's or I wonder if he had any help as he's teaching. Because this is a long time to be teaching. 
But Paul has a ministry. He's going into Corinth. He's sharing the gospel. Disciples are, are, people are coming to the Lord. Disciples are being made. Crispus, who's the synagogue leader, his household, they're getting baptized. And then he says, I'm going to teach you for a year and a half. Kind of a cool picture, isn't it? Of like when you start looking at the Great Commission, could you do that with other cities that Paul's in? Maybe it's just another little story, a little study of Ephesus, or maybe you want to do it in Thessalonica, or like these are the areas, these are the regions. Christ clearly commissioned his disciples and Paul is living it out. Could you say that about yourself? Could you say you're doing this today? Look, we love, here we go. I, I'm ready to go in my soapbox. We love taking Matthew 28, 18 through 20, saying, this is our life first. Could you write down a place that you're at doing this already? Could you write that you're seeing people actually come to know the Lord? And could you say, oh, and, and they were baptized. And then could you say, yeah, and then I was teaching them for a period of time so that they could grow in the Lord. Could you pour into the remnant because this is the Great Commission? Please do not fool yourself in saying I'm doing it when you can't write it down. I love this image because Paul does this, the Great Commission in Corinth. Kevin, I don't know if you have that map, but I sure like that map if you can, if we can keep using that here. So here's what it is. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, Scripture says, When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I didn't come with brilliance of speech or, or wisdom. Like nothing sounds fancy. <laughs> hey, that actually sounds kind of cool. <laughs> like I didn't think it was a good idea uh, to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, I had no other plans except to preach Jesus. In fact, in verse three, I came to you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. You look at verse four, it says my speech, and my proclamation they weren't with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit. So that your faith might not be based on man's wisdom, men's wisdom, but on God's power. So here's Paul. Here's what, here's what Paul does. He says, well, I hate to tell you guys in verse one, I'm a bad speaker. OK, that should get all of, all of us should have hope. OK, and then in verse three, here's what he says. He says, I come to you in weakness. Some of you have wobbly knees. He says, I come to you in fear and I come to you trembling. This is probably one of the best evangelism equipping lessons right here. Hey, who's not qualified to share the gospel? Me. Who doesn't know what to say? Me. Anybody feeling a little weak? Me. Oh, dear Lord, that's a big man. Me, I'm afraid. Anybody else just a little bit of shaking and trembling? Yeah, me, because this is a picture of the American church. When we think about sharing the gospel, when we, me, think about going and approaching somebody, I come up with one of these excuses, do we not? And yet that's the beauty, he says. Uh, that's the beauty of all of this, is that when I communicate this, oh, when you place your faith in Christ, I can say 100%, it ain't about me. It has nothing to do with my wisdom, but everything to do with God's power. And oh, by the way, this is, this is the Apostle Paul. Maybe the most influential Christian in the scriptures. I think that's a fair statement. There's another guy in the Old Testament. His name's Moses. Moishi. <laughs> and there's a lady named uh, Jean Boinstra. Boonsta. She wrote, Moses had five excuses. And when I read that, I was like, these are Paul's excuses. If you go to Exodus 3.11. In Exodus 3.11, just here's, here's Moses's. 
but Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know what he says? I'm not good enough. Um, God, I don't, I don't know if you've seen my resume. It's not very good. In fact, did you see my grades in Egyptian school? <laughs> like, my grades are awful. Like, I think that's pretty funny. Did you guys know I, I barely passed college? I had to take my senior exam twice. I am still convinced today that they just let me pass so I could leave. And I think, here's what we do, though. In our heads, we think we're never qualified. We're never good enough to be used by God. Well, if I go into that environment and I surround myself with those people, why are they going to think I'm anything different? Why are they going to think I'm worth of anything? Like, that's, that's what we do, though, isn't it? Like, try hanging out with the Israeli Knesset. Like, when we first started getting to know these guys, I was like, oh, I'm not even talking. Or you hang out with some of these congressmen or senators that start coming into, uh, you know, the prayer breakfast that we're a part of. Whoa, I don't look like you can play all this you want, all these thoughts, and it's going to come down to I'm not good enough. That's what Moses thought. Keep going. Kevin, if you would go to Exodus 3, 13. This is the one I really like. I think this is kind of fun. And Moses just says this. I don't have all the answers. Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Hey, what should I tell them? Oh man, if I go out and hit the streets and I talk to somebody, what if they ask me about Islam? <laughs> what if they ask me about Buddhists? What if they ask me to quote a Bible verse? Like, I don't have all the answers. And so what we do is, is we think I'm not good enough. We think I don't have all the answers. And so then we just don't do anything. My challenge is, is that's who God wants to use. It's the people who don't think they have it all together. <laughs> Praise God. In fact, he's always looking for people. He's always. I think for me, like I, I have the, I, I'm actually maybe in this category right now. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm actually serious. It's an area I'm struggling with because of things that we're taking these jumps and leaps of faith. And then sometimes you get, um, you know, perspectives of what you're doing and then you don't even feel qualified. Well, then if you don't feel qualified, then I don't have all the answers. But look, Moses, Moses isn't done yet. Kevin, go to Exodus 4, 1. Okay, I know we just jumped from 1 Corinthians to the life of Moses, but just go with me here. Exodus 4, 1, this is a classic. Moses says, hey, people, they won't believe me. <laughs> then Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord didn't appear to you? Oh, that's a good story, Kyle. Like, that really happened. Moses had the same thoughts. I'm not good enough. What if I don't have all the answers? And oh, by the way, people won't believe me, so why should I even go and do this? Exodus 4.10, this is what really started this whole study of Moses for me and, and Paul, Exodus 4.10. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you've been speaking to your servant, because I am, I'm slow and I'm slow. And I'm hesitant in speech. I, for something about, there's something about the sloth that I have. I can't, can't get rid of the sloth right now. Do you guys know Jude sleeps with a, a life-size uh, sloth? It's as big as him, basically. And so I think there's something. So, so what does Moses say? He says, I'm a terrible speaker. God says, good, now I can speak through you. And finally, the last one, Exodus 4, verse 13. 
Exodus 4.13 says, Moses said, please, Lord, please send somebody else. I'm not qualified, he said. I don't know, Kevin, can you, can you, res- can you connect with any one of those five? Which one do you like? Which one speaks to you today? Uh, probably the speech one. <laughs> We've had a hard time this week. Yeah, yesterday was a humdinger, wasn't it? Rich, is there any one of these excuses that you're like, oh, I kind of tend more to lean towards that? Like right there, what I just said, that didn't even make sense. That was weird. I, I knew what you meant. I know, but that's my problem. Okay, go on, Rich. We figured out mine. I will take number one and number two. I am not good enough, and I don't have all the answers. Because you ask everybody else the questions. Yeah. And you make me feel like I don't have all the answers. Yeah. So here's what I love about Moses' life or Paul's life. I mean, I think this is a fair statement, you guys. These are like in the top five of all of Scripture, like the main dogs, the main leaders in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And both of them are saying the same thing. We're not good enough. I can't talk. I don't have any answers. I'm not qualified. In fact, I'm freaking out. I'm I'm afraid of all of this. Like whatever the context is, all of this is so that there's a powerful demonstration of God working in their life. All of this is so that the people's faith may not be based on Moses's wisdom, Paul's wisdom, but on God's power. That's what I love. And I think that's why it gets me so fired up when people think so highly of themselves. It's almost like they're taking credit where they don't deserve to take any credit. It's God working in their lives, not themselves, so get over themselves. I think that's what fires me up. When you hear the Apostle Paul say, I can't even talk, and yet we have people today say, I'm the best, I'm the best. Like, Paul doesn't even say that. Moses definitely doesn't say it, except when he says he's the most humble person. (laughs) Verse 6, it says this. However, uh, let me just say this. They're not stupid. I'm serious. Paul says we do speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. In other words, when you're talking about that word uh, mature, uh, we're, we're talking about genuine believers who have been saved. So how do we speak a wisdom amongst the mature believers? Well, it's not of a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But watch, on the contrary, here's what we speak to mature believers. We speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. A wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. I love what John MacArthur said about this. I think this is so cool. He says, it's a truth known to God before time that he has kept secret until the appropriate time for him to reveal it. The truth's always been there. It's just a matter of when does he reveal it? When does he start to show his kids? You know, you think about with, uh, you know, like right now we have a package for Selah. Okay, she, she got a package from uh, her Nana and Papa in Minnesota. And uh, she's never going to listen to this, so I can tell you. She got, a, um, I think, an ornament because she's in, the, in the, the musical Annie. Okay? So it's already there. It's sitting in the back. We already know what it is. It's killing Selah. It's this little box in the back. Hey, can I, can I open it now? No, you can't open it now. Come on, come on. Well, we know that it's appropriate to release this mystery at a certain time so that she'll get it. That's, a, that's what God exactly did with, with the Gospels. It, it's a truth that God truly will save and glorify um, sinners. And at the right time, when it goes from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, God says, I'll release it. That's the hidden wisdom that's been released. And so what I want to do is I want to just kind of write down this wisdom. First of all, uh, I think it's a fair statement, this wisdom, okay, 
This wisdom comes from God, not man. Amen? We, we, we can't figure that out. And then it continues on at this part, though, that this wisdom, okay, has been hidden. The wisdom comes from God and this wisdom has been hidden. It's a kind of a cool picture. And then when he continues on, it says this wisdom, this is kind of unique, this wisdom, this comes from Warren Wiersbe, this wisdom involves God's ordination. If you go back to verse 7, on the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. Like God has already set the table for what this wisdom looks like and when it's going to unfold. And then he continues on. We're still in verse seven with this. This wisdom, okay, results in the glory of God's people. All of that is from verse seven. So this wisdom that we're talking about comes from God. It's been hidden. This wisdom involves God's ordination. In other words, his timing. He's already planned this out. And then this wisdom results in the glory of God's people. Now, if you go to verse eight, it says none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So I want to just make sure you get this. This wisdom. This is the fifth one here. This wisdom is hidden from the unsaved world. And have you guys ever talked to lost people and they just don't get it? I don't get it, actually, why they don't get it. Except if you go back to this wisdom involves God's ordination, it's predestined. God already says, yeah, I already know who's going to say yes. This wisdom results in the glory of God's people, but this wisdom is still hidden from people who do not get it. They're unsaved. It says in verse nine, I just I like this perspective of wisdom. I think it's a good progression. You have to understand, first and foremost, it comes from God, which says if you go back to the speaking, if you go back to them not qualified, if you get go back to they won't believe me, it doesn't have anything to do with you anyway. It doesn't have anything to do with me. In verse 9 it says, But as it is written, what I did not see and ear did not hear, and whatever, what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. The wisdom of God. Uh, can you go to Isaiah 64, verse 4, please? That's what verse 9 is. is Paul is quoting Isaiah 64, verse 4 and 65, 17. From ancient times, no one has heard, no one has listened. No eye has seen any God except you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. And then finally in Isaiah 65, verse 17, the scripture says this. For I will create, uh, this is interesting, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Like God has it all set up from the beginning to the end. <laughs> and then when you jump to verse 10, okay, we're going to begin to understand what, what do you do? How else do I put this? I'm not sure I'm going to be able to fit anything on here, but I'm going to try. Once the wisdom has been, has been given, let me think of it this way. Once the Holy Spirit has breathed life into believers, okay? What does the Spirit of God do? 
Well, it says in verse 10, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. So I think it's a fair statement to say the Spirit searches. That's all you need to know. The Spirit searches. Let me look what it says. Even the depths of God. And then verse 11, it says, it continues on even more. For who among men knows the thoughts of man, of a man, except the spirit of man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So a couple of different things. Four important uh, pictures of the Holy Spirit. Warren Wearsby comes up. Is one is the Holy Spirit is constantly searching. Now, uh, let me back up, though, and go to verse 12. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. So I think it's a fair statement. You can say the spirit indwells believers. Holy Spirit is, is searching, and then guess what he does? He indwells in us. Okay? Scripture then continues on. You're going to see the progression here. It's pretty straightforward. In verse 13, it says, We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. You know what I love about this is the Spirit is searching, the Spirit then indwells, and then the Spirit, Kevin, teaches. If you don't believe the Holy Spirit speaks today, you're missing out on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. You're missing out on experiencing the fullness of God. I don't know, some of us, I think, today in the American church, I think we're okay with the Holy Spirit searching. I think we're actually okay with the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. But when it gets to the part of the Holy Spirit teaching us, it makes us a little uncomfortable. All right, let's keep going if we can. Uh, verse 14, and this one covers 14, 15, and 16. Scripture says this, But the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit. The unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolish to him. I promise you the unbelievers at times sense something from God. You think that's true, Kevin? Yeah, I think so. But for some reason, they don't. Well, you know why? Because it seems foolish. Hey, I want you to surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus. Who is he? He's not real. Like, that's what it is. It seems foolish to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Okay, keep going to Kevin, if you would, in verse 15. Verse 15, though, it says the spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. And then it says in verse 16, for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I'll unpack 14, 15, and 16. But I wanted to read that because you have to understand the Spirit, the last role that you see in 1 Corinthians 2 is the Spirit matures the believer. Any thoughts, Kevin, what that means? How does the Holy Spirit mature you? What does that even, what do you think? Take a stab at that. I think as you go down the road and you build your relationship, things that I, just in my own life, I, I think of five years ago, if some of the stuff about freedom and that we're starting to learn, 
if that had been dumped on me, I wouldn't have been ready for it or I wouldn't have understood it. But now, because of the process of seeing things and doing it, it it makes sense. It matures you. Yeah, that, that's good. I, I want to take exactly what you said and I want to describe it in three different people. If you look in verse 14, it says the unbeliever, right, doesn't welcome what the Spirit of God is saying, right? The unbel- unbeliever, uh, you know, I know I have no room, but somehow I'm going to fit it in here. The first person that we would call this is you could call the unbeliever the, the natural. Okay, the natural are those specifically. Okay, this is what MacArthur says: are those without Christ, still having, uh, and still living in a lost condition, which were they were born. They're saying no to the Spirit. Not even an option. Okay, so no is the natural man. Okay, but then you have the spiritual man, and that's verse fifteen. The spiritual person, though, however, can evaluate everything. So another way of putting this is, is that a believer in Christ, who if you've been born of the Holy Spirit, okay, you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life into you. Now, we've talked about in 1 Corinthians, I think it is, right, Kevin 15, our, our theme verse, uh, you know, the last Adam, okay? So you have the first Adam in the sin, the fall of man, and then you have the last Adam. And the way it's described in 1 Corinthians 15 is this. It says, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Why I like this image, and this is our one word for all of 1 Corinthians, is that when you have trust in Christ, the last Adam, then you realize that he's constantly, it doesn't just say the Spirit. It, I like this image. It says it's life-giving. It's like it's ongoing. The Holy Spirit is going to breathe life, constantly breathe life, constantly mature us in our walk with the Lord. That's a spiritual person. A spiritual person says, I want this. I want more of the Holy Spirit. But then if you go to 1 Corinthians 3, 1, then you have a description of somebody else. You have the description of a carnal man. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, 1. I know we're not going to teach on that today, but I do want you to understand something, okay? I was not, brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people. That, that would be those that are mature, but as people of the flesh. Carnal, also known as babies in Christ. These babies in Christ, they remain immature in their faith because as, as <laughs> it's kind of an interesting perspective what Nelson says, because they don't allow the Spirit of God to work in their lives. The question is, is hopefully you're not the natural because that would mean you're not saved. That means you have no hope. That means you have no future. It means you have no eternal life. Hopefully you're functioning in the spiritual where you're saying, Holy Spirit, I want more. I want to learn more. I want to hear more. I want to see more. And that's because you're in the word of God. But I actually believe, which is why Time Revive really exists, why the Revive School exists. Some of us are in the carnal state that we're babies in Christ. And here's why. We're not allowing the spirit of God to flow in our lives. And so here you have all kinds of different layers. But when you begin to understand the spirit is indwelling in us, teaching us and maturing us, then we won't stay in this flesh babies in Christ. We'll grow as mature uh, believers in the Lord. And then verse 16, you'll get excited. Go back in First Corinthians 2, verse 16. You'll get excited about this because it says, for who has known the Lord's mind? That he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Believers, when you are in the word and allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life into you, you can have the thought of Christ. You can have the mind of Christ. And to me, you guys, that's how we can walk this holiness journey out. So when you're in Corinth and all of the debauchery, all of the sexual sins, all of the immorality, all of the adultery, all of the stuff, all of that goes to the wayside. When you as a spiritual person walk it out, 
based on the Holy Spirit because when you trust in the last Adam, he will give you the life-giving spirit. And when you have the life-giving spirit inside of you, the gifts, they won't make you afraid at all. What they'll do is, is they'll say, man, that's, I want more of that. I want a desire. I want to reflect more of him. Holy Spirit, breathe life in me as we love people and express the gifts. All right, guys, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I look at my board, I'm like, wow, that's 18 different sermons. Hang in there because there's more tomorrow. All right, have a great day. Thanks.